Okay, Kathy Quinn, whom I love and adore, tell me, how did you meet Anthony Quinn? How did you meet in the first place? I don't know if we have enough time for that long story, but I was his personal assistant, and it was uh, a funny meeting because I was introduced to him through uh, his accountant, who was desperate because he said, uh, Tony can't keep a secretary for more than uh, more than a day. And, uh, and so he was uh, desperately looking for someone who spoke Italian because he had a, a, a whole business of artwork, uh, creating his artwork in Italy at the time. And so my uh, uncle, who knew this gentleman, said, hey, you know, you might want to call this guy. And um, I didn't want to, but I wasn't I wasn't working at the time. I was only 23 years old. And so I said, what have I got to lose? So I called and and uh, I think a 12 year old girl answered the phone. He was desperately looking for somebody to work for him. So he used the doorman, the doorman's daughter to, to fill in while he was looking for someone. OK. And. Um, Met him over on his apartment in 86th Street and was expecting to come into uh, a very complex office with, you know, knowing his his fame and, and history. And uh, instead, it was just him. He met me at the elevator. He grabbed me off the elevator and said, come on, kid, let's look. OK, 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 OK. Name some of his <laughs> movies. Name me some of his movies for those of us who may not remember all of them, like Zorba. Oh, okay. Zorba the Greek, The Shoes of the Fisherman, The Secret of Santa Vittoria, uh, Viva Zapata with Marlon Brando. Uh, Lust for uh, Life. I remember Nav- Lust for Life. Lust for Life, The Guns of Navarone. I mean, he worked with uh, Gary Cooper, Marlon Brando, uh, Fellini, DeMille, uh, you know, these, for everyone from the 1930s to the 2000s, Spike Lee, Arnold Schwarzenegger, John Candy. Uh, Kevin Costner, Revenge, that was one of his later ones that some people, younger people know. He worked in a a comedy slash uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was uh, called uh, the, well, I forget. forget He lived a a very grand scale. He earned millions. I knew him well, as you know. That's how we became friendly. He was a longtime friend, and he once told me his greatest Christmas memory was when he was a little boy, and his father put 10 cents under his pillow. You know that story? I, I know that he uh, that he was very poor. He grew up very poor. And uh, and that sounds like what his father would have done. And, uh, you know, made him appreciate every cent he ever earned, which he did. He didn't waste money and he enjoyed life tremendously. I don't know anyone. I never met anyone who loved every aspect of life, food, children, nature, people he just ate it all up and you know that because you of course i know where where are his oscars where are they here at my house in rhode island you also have a museum sort of i mean what what is it is it a museum of artwork because he had a second career that a lot of people don't even know about and i spend my life uh promoting it to he he was an artist every you know when he was on the movie set there's a lot of distractions and you know this because people are moving uh, sets and he, in order to stay focused, he would sit and draw 
most of the time he was sketching uh, and and painting yeah. or playing chess in order to stay focused. And and those drawings led later on uh, to him making sculptures. He would carve later on when he was in the desert, working on Lawrence of Arabia, working on Lion of the Desert. He made several movies as an Arab. And, you know, Cindy, you said that a lot of um, young people today don't know who he is, but if you went to uh, the Middle East or the North Arab, uh, North African countries, everybody knows who he is because he played these roles of historical leaders and they still treat him like that. They'll, they'll kiss his hand. I remember we had an Iranian taxi driver once in New York and the, and the man said, please, Mr. Quinn, can I kiss your hand? He said, no, 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 please don't embarrass me. And he said, no, no, you are, this and that, and you know, and they treated him like he was those leaders. And if you go to Greece, they all think they're Anthony Quinn because they all feel like they're Zorba. And if you go to Italy, they say, "Oh, Anthony Quinn was Italian. He wasn't really, and he was Mexican." <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have, as on my walls, as you know, a lot of his paintings and sculptures because he gave them to me and they're signed, and I love them dearly. Didn't he once sell an oil... I'm stuttering. Didn't he once sell an oil painting for $300,000? Yes, that was uh, $350,000, and that was at his show in New York in 1987 or 89 at the Plaza Hotel. And uh, that oil painting was a self-portrait. But he, so every time he, you know, he did sculpture and he did painting, his large painting sold for a lot of money and people still, you know, keep them in their private collections because they don't, they don't come up for uh, for resale very often. So they're valuable. And he was, uh, he was an amazing artist. He loved to paint. I mean, I think if it was up to him, he would have done that all day long. Well, his family, um, does, made, his kids paint, too, or one of them at least does, I know. Yeah, yeah, his uh, son, uh, Lorenzo, is a sculptor, but, um, I mean, my kids are both very talented. My, Ryan is musical. You know, the arts The arts sometimes have a lot of crossovers. You can, you know, dance and sing and, you know, and paint and, and a lot of artists. I'm not an artist, so I have no idea, but when they are talented, they're talented, and it just comes out in different ways, which it did with him. Well, it and, didn't happen um, with me, so that's very interesting. To know. It happens with other people. What did you he and me th- both, we can admire them. <laughs> what did he think of contemporaries that he worked with then, like a, like a Pacino or a DiCaprio or something? Uh, he never worked with Di- DiCaprio. He adored Pacino. Um, you know, it's funny because in the days when, I mean, he would admire Pacino as a young man. Now he's, he's older, but even Kevin Costner... Um, and uh, he, you know, he had this habit of when he really admired an actor, he would write them a fan letter, which just was kind of funny because uh, he said, I know he's going to be, you know, he's going to be big. And and uh, and he loved to see that because he didn't see it so often, um, you know, so he, he wasn't jealous of other actors. He was really he was a, a, t- a team player. Well, you know, you know how much I loved him. He went with me. To the Gotti trial, we sat together, we held hands, the two of us sitting at the Gotti trial. Do you remember that? I do. I do. You you, you got him out of, uh, you know, you brought him to a lot of interesting things. And I mean, when he was a friend, I know you're the same way, you're loyal. Yeah. When he was friends with someone, he was friends to the end. And he was very, he was a very loyal 
person, and he knew Gotti, and he went with you, you know, uh, to support him. Oh, I remember it that. so well. I remember. And also, he played, you know, he played in the movie Gotti uh, with uh, with Armand Asante. It was an HBO movie, and he played. Um, uh, oh gosh, uh, Angelo. Uh, he was an older uh, mobster. I can't remember his name now. I can't uh, remember them either. I can't remember. But anyway, rec- and recently, I, I was in. Uh, I've been in touch with Armand Asante. He loved Tony like a father, um, and he often did that with uh, with the younger actors he worked with. And Kathy, um, Kathy I, how I, I was, how did he memorize? How did he learn lines when it got? older and it's it's hard for all of us to remember so many things how did he do that you know i don't think he ever i ever um i don't think his pro- his process of of uh becoming a character ever changed he he immersed himself so deeply into the character that even if it was a tiny role he would play he would become that person and and uh, and learn about that character, or even if it was some uh, you know a fictional character, he would say, "What would this guy do if he was in a, you know getting a divorce or so?" So he would absorb himself so deeply in that person, and he called it swallowing the pill. So in the in the moment when he finally was able to become that person and play him on screen, and sometimes it was very difficult for him. Um, he just became it. And I think that's why he was so successful in those roles that he played, like Zorba. He became Zorba. He spent four months in Greece wandering around the country with his friend Sam Shaw, who you knew well, um, you know, just looking for the character, just trying to absorb the character. And, um, and he, it was tough for him. And that one, he said, I almost didn't get it and I couldn't find it. And, and, uh, like, uh, lust for life with, uh, Gauguin. Yes. Yes. He, Tell me about that one. I know, I know he did a lot of learning for that one. He did. And he was, um, he, he was sitting out one day they were shooting. Vincent Minnelli was the director, Liza Minnelli's father. And, uh, and he was sitting there painting out in the field and he kept stopping and the, the director kept going up to him and saying, what's going on, Tony? And he said, I can't do it. I can't do it. He said, why can't you do it? He said, he's watching me. He's standing right here. He said, who? He said, Gauguin, he's standing behind me. And he said, so what is he saying? He's telling me I'm holding the brush wrong. He said, so listen to him and change the way you're holding the brush and move on. Let's go. Let's go <laughs> the scene. And he did that with, uh, he did that with Zorba and he did that. It happened to him when he was playing the Pope, he got a, he got a, a disease on his eyes and he couldn't and, and he had to take a, a couple of weeks off the film and he didn't feel like he was he was uh, good enough or worthy of playing the Pope. And then he went to see a doctor and he said, if not you, who? And if not now, when? So and Tony said, ah, yeah, you're right. Nobody better than me. So he so he, <laughs> you know, and the disease went away miraculously over and over again. He became possessed by characters, uh, you know, and I think some of the best ones that he played, that's, that's how he did it. And if he, if he, you know, had trouble with his lines, sometimes he would improvise in later years. I, you know, he did use giant cue cards under the table on stuck to the wall, people holding them up. But, um, but he never, you know, he was such a professional, Cindy. I've seen People who throw tantrums, who make demands. I want flowers. I want M and M's. I want white curtains. I want this. I want that. He never did any of that BS. He just showed up ready 
to work. Hey, listen, he Tony was not calm. I mean, I knew Tony. He was not he calm. He wasn't calm, but he was <laughs> professional. You he know, was he a tough play. guy and a smart guy. I mean, he was yeah. not a little pussycat. He had high expectations, you know. <laughs> That's another way of putting it. It's okay for me. So no, I, I loved him. him. I loved him. You should you should have tried traveling with him. So How we did, traveled I, with ten, 10 suitcases. You know, we'd go to foreign countries, and, and uh, he'd walk the beaches, and he'd find a giant stone. He'd say, hey, you know what? This is really cool. I can make a sculpture out of it. Ship it home. I'm in <laughs> Brazil, and I have to find a way to ship a giant rock home. And, and um uh, he he often did that where he would just uh oh and 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 we would go out to eat in a restaurant in Barcelona a Mexican restaurant and he said you know my wife can't cook Mexican food she's a great cook but she can't cook Mexican food what do I, what am i supposed to do and and the owner of the restaurant who was a, an old bullfighter friend of his said oh my daughter lupe cooks she'll go home with you so we take this woman this 30 year old woman back to Rhode Island with us and she's here for two weeks every single night cooking Mexican food, Mexican food, Mexican food. And he says to me, oh, my God, I can't eat Mexican food again the rest of my life. I'm so sick of it. How do we get rid of her? Okay. <laughs> and okay. then we, in yeah. Brazil, he adopted a 12-year-old girl. He wanted to buy a house, adopt a kid, bring people home all the time. And I'm like, we've got two kids. Isn't that enough? <laughs> we brought a 12-year-old girl home from Brazil. Listen, <laughs> I lived with him. I didn't live with him, but. When he was having heart surgery, this is a story that stayed with me. I was in his hospital room, and he said, you mustn't write about it, because if you do, they won't insure me for the next movie. So I said, don't worry about it. I love you, Tony. Of course I won't write about it. But, you know, taxi drivers heard other people in the car who might be visiting others in the hospital. They mentioned it. Nurses mentioned it, and it got out, and the story was written, not by me, by another newspaper. And that's how things get out. You can't keep things quiet the way you used to be. Oh, God, no. I don't know how anybody keeps anything under wraps these days. And and it's true, but that didn't ruin his career. That was... uh... You know, 1991, and he worked. He worked for another 10 years after that. I think that was just the fear of that generation. You know, they kept their. You know, you tried to keep dirt out of the paper. Now, uh, it's you know, it's it's. There's no secret. Well, dirt you know is the paper now. Dirt is yeah. the paper, except not the New <laughs> York Post, of course, which is like Social the Catholic media, Digest. You know. Yes. Okay. <laughs> How did a star like Anthony Quinn handle autograph hunters and celebrity seekers? Don't keep telling me he was so wonderful and genteel. He had no patience whatsoever. So how did he do that? Oh, my God. You knew a different Tony than I did, especially with that. Well, autograph seekers, you know what would bother him in Germany? Um, for example, they, he had a huge fan base in Germany and we would leave uh, an event and people would be outside waiting with uh, not one photograph, but 20 photographs. He would sign one and he would hand back the pile of photographs and say, that's enough for you, because these people then would turn around and sell them, yeah, you I know, know. Go, yeah. go and sell the autograph picture. So in that case, he, you know, he would sign one he would uh, and, and hand off. But if somebody... Uh, sincerely came up to him. Uh, let's say we were, he had, he had a way of handling it. Um, so let's say we were out to dinner and somebody came up to the table. He said, look, I'm having dinner with my family. Can, can I, you know, can you come up to me when I leave the restaurant or when I'm, I'm trying to enjoy dinner with my family or, um, 
but he never traveled with bodyguards. You know that he didn't protect himself like that, where he, you know, shielded from people going near him. Don't talk to me. They would come up to him. They would talk to them. And, and, uh, I mean, he liked hanging out with the people playing chess in the park. Uh, he'd sit down and play, uh, play chess. I, I mean, I obviously have seen his, you know, his angry side. He is extremely jealous and possessive and demanding of my yeah, time. Yeah, let me ask I, something I, here. Yeah. Big time movie stars can be temperamental, difficult to live with. One told me a very famous name. When he put his hand out on the set, somebody just automatically placed a coffee cup in it. They then expected <laughs> the wife at home to do the same. That's why there were so many divorces and separations. What was Tony like to live with simply as a human being? Uh, it was nonstop activity. So he would, I sometimes I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning just so I could stretch, do exercises, get myself ready. Because once he woke up, it was hit the ground running. Let's have breakfast. <laughs> let's go for a walk. Let's go for a bicycle ride. Let's have lunch. Let's go work. And he wanted me to be with him while he was painting. He said, what are you doing in your office? Come over here. Sit with me. Every single minute of the day, me and the kids as well, even if he was painting, he wanted the kids around him all the time. And so I think that was the hardest thing is that the, the time consuming and then it was you know from wake up to go to bed that's that's how it was he would get upset with me if i would go out to the store one day i dared to go to the supermarket and and he actually got in the car and and and, and came to the supermarket to see what i was doing why i was taking so long <laughs> i was okay. like what is going on tell me about the museum you have a museum today or or an art well, it's not really a museum it's his uh it's all of his studios his work uh his work i have a foundation and so i i do work with kids young kids because i think the story of his life how he grew up so poor without a father how he worked his widow people you know young kids today think you just go from being nothing to being famous and then you're rich and it doesn't work that way. And I talk to these, you know, the, I bring like school kids here and we talk about his life and his process of working because they see I have, uh, you know, half finished pieces everywhere. Things that he, you know, he gathered from all, all over the world and his drawings and his paintings and that, you know, his process of working was just um, constant. He worked, he worked until just weeks before he died. Uh, and, you know, he never, ever stopped. And I think um, for people to see that to be an artist, to be famous, you can't you can't just win an Oscar and then float the rest of your career. And and I think his work is, you know, the things I have here, the amount of work that he did in his lifetime just blows people away. They say, how is it even possible? Um, you know, so I did a book. I think I showed you, I, I gave you one of those books, didn't I? Yeah, Anthony yeah, Quinn's Eye. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I tried to, what I tried to do was just show the, the, the breadth and depth of his life and career. And um, Okay, really let me ask you something that many, many of us who look at these handsome, fabulous guys, weren't women throwing themselves at him? Was he a cheater to a degree? I mean, you were his third wife, I think. Wasn't he adored by women everywhere? 
He was. He never cheated on me. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, Lucky for you, you. You know otherwise. We'll talk later. <laughs> no, but uh, they did, you know, but I think, um, I, I don't think, I never saw him. He was just very, he was so charming all the time. And so I watch interviews sometimes that he did. And I'm like, God, he was handsome when he was, he was, uh, 19. He was handsome when he was 50. He was handsome when he was 70. When I met him, I mean, he was, he, he just had a, an aura about him. And uh, yes, he was attracted to people. I, if, if he cheated on me, I don't know about it, but I think that um, he didn't. And in that old fashioned way, they never see themselves as cheaters. He just thought, Oh, what oh, did he she, think he know, was? What did he think he was doing? That. Rehearsing? <laughs> he was rehearsing. Yeah. Is that it? He Listen, said, sometimes you fall out of love, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I had enough I of you, justify. Kathy. I, I had enough justify. of you. And I love yeah. you dearly. <laughs> and we will speak <laughs> later about whether or whether or not he was not a cheater, which I don't believe. I he love was. you dearly, and I want you to call me after. This I, will, I will. I will. I will. I want to okay. invite you. I want to invite you to something. I'll so come. I'll come. I'll come. I'll come. Okay. Goodbye, okay. baby. Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.